Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 26 of the 7AM Novelist March, March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we have Patricia Park, who is one of my favorite writers, because not only do I consider her a colleague and a friend, I was actually able to see her work on her first novel, Read Jane, and her career is just flown from there. Um, she is going to be talking to us about crafting a scene. Good morning, Patty. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on our show. Patricia Park, I call her Patty, um, is an <laughs> assistant professor of creative writing at American University. She's a Fulbright Scholar in Creative Arts, the Jerome Hill Artist Fellow, and author of the acclaimed debut, Read Jane, uh, a Korean-American reimagining of Bronte's Jane Ear. Uh, Read Jane was named Editor's Choice by the New York Times Book Review, Best Books of 2015 by the American Library Association, Oh, the Oprah Winfrey magazine pick and NPR Fresh Air pick and a whole bunch of others. She was born and raised in Queens and lives in Brooklyn. Her second book, a YA novel entitled Imposter Syndrome and Other Confessions of Alejandra Kim, just came out to glowing reviews in February. Congratulations, Patty. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it'll be out in, in just a, in just a short bit. <laughs> yeah, so we're actually doing this this interview. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, but but I've already read some glowing reviews. So for those of you that are listening, it's already out, and you're behind on <laughs> the time. No, and you should just rush out and get the book. Okay, so time um, glitch. How appropriate though that we're talking about making a scene crafting a scene and uh we're, we're yes. thinking about these issues of time and do you flash of forward time. do you flash Very backward <laughs> <laughs> um excellent okay we're talking about crafting a scene so patty tell me where you start with this like do you think about this crafting a scene as you're writing in your first draft or do you do a revision both how do you go about it both all um you know i think i cannot think about writing a scene without thinking about that excellent essay or um excerpt that you had us read of of sandra schofield's work um yeah. the the scene book um and for those of you who don't know i studied with michelle um in the novel incubator class where my first novel of rejane was incubating um pre-publication but uh you know one thing i think about is how sandra schofield talks about the four kind of elements of a scene, right? Uh, that it must have, uh, must be a scene, function, structure, uh, event, and events, function, structure, and pulse. But I think about the pulse especially because that one you cannot really put your finger on it. Um, and yeah. I think about how is, yeah, I, I think in scene blocks with my characters, I'm like, okay, um, I know that, um, you know, Ala and Billy need to get from like, estranged to back to being best friends. How am I gonna get there? So I'll list out like the five beats that need to, the five moments that need to happen, right? The five events maybe. And then I think about, all right, does each of these five need to be a scene? And I am an over pantser or whatever, or over explicator. So I write those five scenes and then I'm like, oh, I didn't need to write those five. So then I condense and then try to maybe write one scene and then have, summary uh, transitions on, on either ends of those scenes um, to kind of help with the flow and the pacing. So yeah, I, I think of scenes right from the get-go. Nice, nice. And um, I think I, I kind of do that too, or I kind of like, well, these are the sorts of beats that I need to have. But, but I also find myself in combining those. And this is something that I find 
a lot with the writers that I work with is that they, they'll have a number of very short scenes and um, they're so short and they seem to only have one purpose. And so therefore they seem a little too simple. Um, they seem to be on the page only for one reason. And so it's usually best to, to combine your scenes so that they have more complexity to them. You can spend more time with them. You can spend more time with the characters in that space. So we're not constantly jumping to a new scene, a new scene. Um, and just so that the scene is just just richer because it's actually trying to accomplish more than just a single thing. Um, so what is Pulse? Um, you know, that's something I've been spending years trying to figure out. I, I think it's, right? If you subscribe to the belief that characters are moving towards or away from something, then it is that kind of, emotional under uh, underpinning that 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 feeling of tension of are they going to get toward closer to the thing that they want to get are they going to move away from it um and oftentimes some sometimes as a scene exercise for my students i make them have two people who are in scene in dialogue and they're each trying to keep a secret from each other it's kind of a prescriptive exercise but this idea that what are we putting on the page what are we withholding and I think mm -hmm. that creates an interesting tension and, and it, and it adds to this feeling of the pulse. Like, is the scene alive? Is it, is it these characters working towards the thing that they're trying to achieve um, with that scene exercise? You know, are, are they working towards maintaining that secret or, or are they moving away from it? And how much does the reader know of what's happening too? Um, so I think, I think it's good to do a, a pulse check for your scenes. Does it feel alive? Does it feel dead? You got to do CPR on it. You got to get it out of there. <laughs> yeah. But I love, so if you're watching the webinar, um, you can see, or we're not, if you're not watching the webinar um, and you're just listening to the podcast, Patty actually raised her hand and did a little heartbeat <laughs> um, <laughs> at, with her fist. Um, and I think this is a really good thing to think about. It really is that heartbeat. It really is, is that scene alive? And is it, and it's a constant heartbeat that you have to keep hitting over and over and over in the scene. So really, yeah, it's that emotional undercurrent. It's usually in the subtext, right? Yeah. Um, that leads through what, um, what is being said, what is not being said, what people are doing, what people are not doing. You know, every in every good scene, the characters will all have an intention, but if they're going directly after that intention, you're ignoring the pulse. Because that intention might be, I want to convince Billy to go out with me. Um, but it doesn't mean that someone's going to walk up and be like, Billy, hey, why don't you go out with me? <laughs> go so out that, with me. <laughs> it depends on their pulse. You know, it depends on their background experience, their fears, um, uh, how, what they think of Billy, how, what they think of themselves. Are they going to be able to go directly at it? Or are they going to have to hide it? Are they actually have to, have to be, hey, Billy, you're an idiot. And that's how they're going to get at it. <laughs> In terms of how they operate emotionally, how they see the world um, and, and how they're going to be able to direct um, that intention. So it really is that emotional, that emotional undercurrent within the scene, but also through the book as a whole. Because if you don't understand on a deeper level, what your character truly wants versus just the concrete thing that they say they want, um, a car, a book or whatever. If you don't understand that's really about 
freedom, autonomy, love, whatever, that heartbeat, you're, the scene's going to die. Yeah. You know, when you talk about the emotional subtext, I think subtext is, it's, it's one of the hardest things to manage, right? Because you can get the two characters into the car on their way, you know, in the getaway car, you can have the bomb explode. You can have them make out or whatever. You can have them do explicit action, but that emotional subtext is guiding the way that they touch the steering wheel or, or rattle their keys or not. Um, you know, I think about, there's a, a passage in um, a, a craft book that I found very helpful was called Getting Into Character, Seven Secrets a Novelist Can Learn from Actors by Brandon Lynn Collins. And mm -hmm. she talks about, she has a whole section on, on subtext and gave, she gives like different versions of blocks of dialogue. One where it's overt, like, go out with me, you know, I right. like you. But people are seldom so forthright, right, in what they say. And then another version where, okay, this is the thing that they really want, but this is the way it's coming out because they're not able to find that words. But the the stage direction, all the kind of otherness happening in the scene, um, is is adding to that feeling of the pulse, and and it and it creates this kind of a richer emotional subtext. And I think it might take several passes because you really have to know your characters and understand your characters to get that pulse right. And so it, you might have to revise those scenes over and over again to really, or, or do you? I mean, how do you feel about it? To, to really get the pulse in, not only to, not only to get the pulse in the scene, but to understand what the pulse of the characters is. Yeah, it, it, so many revisions. And I think that's why, um, you know, uh, I think novel writing, you kind of shoot for show, but you putt for dough. Um, it's all those little strokes, right? As you yeah. get closer, strangely, as you get closer to the green, it takes you more strokes to get there um, than that one long drive shot. That, you know, this analogy actually maybe isn't quite <laughs> exactly holding up, but- um, I like about, well, it takes me forever to get to the green because my golf game is- Same, cool. same. I have no short game is I my problem. I lose the balls. I stopped playing because I lost too <laughs> many balls and they're expensive. Um, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, no, I, I uh, you know, what you're saying about uh, some, that some writers, you know, in their first draft, they write short, um, short, simple scenes like, and, and, and I get that impulse, right? You're just, yeah. this little short scene is serving this sole function. That's all it yeah. does. And then this short one does this. And that, that's how I used to start out. But I think because I had, I, I realized, no, seeing you need so many more. I'm now in this opposite moment where when I'm starting out, it feels so daunting instead of just throwing two characters naturally into conversation. And all it does is really function as an exercise for me to get to know these characters. So none, yeah. none of the dialogue might live on in later drafts, but it was an exercise for me to get to know them. Now I'm like, no, I'm like, this scene must overachieve and it must not only show their voices, it must serve this function of like, getting them from point A to point B, literally, but also figuratively. It must show this progress or regress in their relationship. It must also be set in this place to show the gentrification of, of, of New York and of Queens. So it has to be set on the seven train platform. Oh wait, but it's winter. So why would they be on the seven train platform? Like just hanging out and watching the trains go by. And then I, then this is, <laughs> This is why I think it takes so long to write a novel, at yeah. least for me, because it, I'm, I'm trying to do so many things. And then if you kill off that character or you change it to spring or the seven train, you know, 
gets you know, goes under track maintenance and is out of service for the next seven months, then you're like, well, what was all that work for? <laughs> yeah. plus, plus seasons, I think, kill me, you know, like, oh, damn it. It's winter. <laughs> it's really cold. They can't yeah. stay outside for hours doing this. I'm not going to do. Yeah. Now that uh, I'm writing YA, I have to think about the school calendar. And I'm oh, like, oh, shoot. The SATs would be happening then. No, they can't. They can't do it. They can't sit around and like drink coffee. And unless then, then is the emotional subtext or is the pulse there? I'm sitting and having coffee and shooting the bleep with my friends. I should be studying for the SAT. So then you see how it changes the color and the tone and, and really the pulse of that scene. So every little thing, too many puppet strings. Yeah, like, so sometimes I'm like, oh, shoot, it's winter. Oh, shoot, they'd be doing their SATs. Or, oh, shoot, it's it's 1936. And in Weimar, Germany, I, I do all sorts of uh, historical novels in which I'm discovering facts that are like, damn it. <laughs> Why did that have to be factually true? Normally, I can use it, and it will deepen a scene because it gives a deeper context. Um, and it gives just something more for the scene to do. So I sometimes, even if those sorts of things bother me at first, it might be kind of a gift, just like, you know, oh, you've got, they've got the SATs happening at the same time. That can be actually really interesting. Um, okay, pulse. What else in a scene? You named a few things. What else is the next thing that you think about? Um, yeah, we uh, we talked some about event, like what's, um, that it, or it has an event, um, function of the scene, like what service is it, is it providing or how is it furthering the trajectory between Billy and Ale? Um, structure, you know, I think about structure a lot too, because um, once you see a scene, see a scene, you can't unsee one. So, you know, mm. at the time I was writing my first novel, I was looking at, I was looking at how other writers would construct their scenes. And I noticed that someone like Claire Massoud in, in The Emperor's Children, um, especially the way that she kind of writes her scene is you don't start in the, you don't always start at the, the beginning of the scene. You have the summary right. kind of getting into it. They're like walking down the street or catching up on, oh, well, they were playing phone tag for this long. So you might have that kind of summary. And then we jump into some of the middle of the scene and then we pull back out. So I, I think especially with beginning writers, I do this all the time. I really am quite literal. I start the scene with, you know, they made the plan to meet at 8 a.m. You know, at the coffee shop. And then I have her walking to the coffee shop. And then, <laughs> then I have Billy sit down. And then I'm like, who got there first? Oh, so much depends on their character of who got there first. And it's very granular. It's very like blow by blow. Um, and so a lot of my work is first putting, laying down those tracks and then yeah. afterwards cutting away the boring stuff and then right. seeing, Hey, wait, I've written five of these scenes that go blow by blow. All right. Can I combine, can I combine, you know, two of them and then summarize the rest or something, you know, and I do some kind of, yeah, Jenga-ing. Yeah. That sort of variation is important because that's something else I'll see is that writers will oftentimes start scenes in the same way. And so every scene will start in the same way. Um, so I was working with a writer. She's a, she's a brilliant writer, but every scene would start with just, and she's so good with language and she's so funny, but every scene would start with this kind of long um, piece of exposition and kind of riffing. And then she would finally 
let people talk or let, let kind of <laughs> put us in the moment. Now she was such, she's such a good writer that we kind of go along with the riffing. And so she can probably get away with that more than others, but she was doing it scene after scene, after scene, after scene. And that causes problems. So you want to look at also how you vary, how you're beginning your scenes, where you're beginning your scenes. But I normally tell students and writers, um, begin at the last possible moment that you can for the scene to start. Like you have all this preamble, but where, where, where can you, where, what can you really cut down to, to the last published moment that you can really get the scene to begin? And that might be helpful. Um, good, so when you talk about an event, so again, we talked about with Sandra Schofield, we had her on in the 50 days and I would go back to um, the 50 days and, and, and look for her because she's fabulous. And I love her scene book and she also has a revision book out now. Um, so I always think of an event. I know I always think I know I was so excited. She was also calling. Oh, yeah. She lives in Montana, so she, so it was like five a.m. It was an ungodly. Wow. Um, and uh, really, you want your scene not to just be something happening. To, to an event, the way that you determine that is if it has consequence on the next scene and the next scene and the next scene. So what happens that's going to carry through to the next scene and the next scene? Not, you know, if someone says something or, or does something or something happens, hopefully that's just not gonna be swept under the rug and go away. Hopefully that will be significant enough that it carries the next station they have, how they relate to each other in the next um, scene, what they're willing to do with each other. So let's say if, if this young woman wants Billy to ask her out and she finds him a little pet rabbit to convince him to do so. I don't know. I just came up with that. I don't know why. So <laughs> that's well, you pull a rabbit out of that. <laughs> weird, weird, but I like, I like weird. Um, what, how she gives it to him, how he reacts is going to affect the relationship from then on. You cannot forget that. So not only with that, do you have an object that you can repeat and use and make fun of and, and, and you know, as you could get continue forward, but also just remembering what you already have, right? Um, and that's the problem when you find a scene that doesn't work and you have to take it out because hopefully it affects every other scene, right? Yeah, so that's all that DNA, all those strings you know, I, I I feel like we are Penelope at the at the loom, right? With the the like the never-ending quilt, and we're weaving, and then at the end of the day, you unweave it, and then you have to reweave it because you cut yeah. out that scene, and you were doing your homework, right? And yes, it's serving, it, it's it's serving this function of, uh, you know, function event. I I sometimes interchange them. I know you're not supposed to, but it's serving this need, right? For okay, I've, I've got to establish like. Ella's still upset about her dad and she's saying that to Billy. And when you cut that scene because it's like not really doing much or it's flabby, then you have to still add those little pieces to the other scenes around it or, or convey that information some way. Like, Michelle, how do you handle that when you're pulling apart and then reconfiguring? Um, I, I go out and pet my cat. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I usually will... Um... I have to step back a little bit, but though I, I do love, I love killing scenes, combining scenes and using, using um, kind of the, 
the rubbish of what I have from other scenes to, to, to make other scenes come alive. I actually see that as an opportunity, but it can become, it can really hold you up. And so for me personally, I'm always thinking, I'm always thinking of my book and I'm always thinking of the problems in my book. And so I'll take runs in the morning, I'll be in the shower or I'll, I'll do something and, and, and I'll be like, oh, I can use it this way. And that's, that can be kind of exciting because I knew I have that in my toolbox and I can continue forward. It's just always love, there You're thinking. No, I love the positive aspect of it. I'm like, damn it. Now I have to like do surgery again to that scene. Cause that, that I love the, something from the rubbish that you can salvage or that, that, that gem that you have found, right. That occurs to you on the run. And then how yeah. do you kind of, how do you do the transplant into the scene without the whole body failing the body of the scene failing? Well, there's, I mean, there's lots of times that you might have to really go back and begin to weave it from the beginning, um, yeah. right? Because otherwise yeah. it's, it, has to, it has to feel organic. And there are a lot of writers too who, I know Lauren Groff for one does this, um, they'll write their first draft and then they'll throw it away and then they'll write the second draft. So oh, they okay. don't actually look at the first draft when they go into their second. Now, not only do I wish I were Lauren Groff, well, <laughs> I wish I were, but I have not been able to do that. And so I do think it slows me down sometimes to, to hold on to the rabbits and to hold on to this sometimes. <laughs> um, but um, I just kind of keep hitting my head over that problem or considering it like a, a, like a big puzzle that I'm working on. But, if, yeah. but I do think for some people, if you're having a really hard time, you might just need to just toss that whole part and, and go back to the, that creative space again to start anew. You know your characters, you know the setting, you know, you know the place, you know what you want to do and work forward from there instead of having to save bits and pieces from scenes that you've already written because that can really kill you that yeah I, oh my gosh I, I love that it feels refreshingly very like Marie Kondo if it doesn't spark joy <laughs> let it go if it doesn't spark very joy minimal, let it go absolutely kind of, yeah. absolutely yes start afresh yes. okay wow that's okay Okay, we could end there unless you want to have one more thing of what you think about in terms of scenes. Or should um, we just be with keep what makes you joyful? Because that also goes, <laughs> I, I just talked to um, uh, A.E. Osworth about joy writing. And so they were fantastic in, in, in sticking to what gives them joy with their writing. Uh, I guess one, one last tidbit I'll share um, is that, you know, we can talk about event, event function, structure, pulse, but Really, on the top of every scene I write, I write POS, which apparently I didn't realize stands for piece of bleep, but I write POS for point of scene. I write yeah. it on POS and I'm like, and then I just try to remember what the one, the one thing that the scene needs to accomplish. And yeah. if I can hold true to that, then all the other layers, the emotional subtext, all of that will come in later drafts. So if I could just write POS on the top point of scene, you know, all I need to confide in Billy about, about um, her father's death. And then, and then that will be my kind of North star. So nice. I, I advise you all, you know, if, if that could be helpful in your practice to, to try that. Think of it as, you know. And it is a piece of shit. <laughs> if you don't think of the point of scene, it'll be a piece of shit. Yes. Um, <laughs> right? Not joyful. Not joyful. No, joy, okay. The opposite of joy. We ended on a note. <laughs> on a turd we ended on a turd 
Get it with the turn. Okay, everybody, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. And if you want to join our daily webinars in March, email me at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars on Spotify, Apple, and other podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast podcast platform. I get all those up. Uh, review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. All right, Patty, I asked her earlier if she was going to get some writing done today, and she said she stayed up until 2 a.m. last night revising. What were you doing? I was revising a theme. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking 2,000 words and making it 1,800 words, but adding more elements. So yeah, maybe next time I should take the Lauren Groff approach and just bid it goodbye and just start from scratch. Is that is that what really kept you? I mean, or do you just write at 2 a.m. normally? I don't normally. I'm a morning writer. Um, so yeah. this was this was by by sheer desperation and a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> But you did it. You got it done. All right. Excellent. Thank you all so much, Patty, uh, for being on and helping our writers out, uh, thinking through these things. And everybody else, thank you. I want to get you back to your writing chairs. Happy writing. Bye. Thank you, Michelle. Always a pleasure.